be to God. Let me just pray. I know Debbie's prayed, but uh, let's pray again um, just to bring this passage before the Lord. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your scriptures. Not everything in your scriptures is easy to understand or easy for our modern ears to hear. But Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us tonight, that he would be our teacher and guide, and that we might truly see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Obedience, submission, children obey your parents, wives submit to your husbands, even there's a little bit in here about slaves and masters even. And obviously to our modern ears, sometimes we're like, hold on a second, is the Bible advocating things that today just would not be accepted? Just for starters on the the slaves and masters thing, I think the best way to think about this for today's ears is to think in the context of perhaps bosses and employees. Does that make sense? So that idea of each of us in our lives, maybe we don't live in the ancient world, but at the same time as then, but each of us in our own lives, we, we relate to, in our lives, different kinds of relationships. We've got brothers and sisters in church, you've got congregation and vicars, you've got husbands and wives, you've got bosses and employees, we've got parents and children. Do you, do you see, we all exist within these different types of relationships. And Paul in Ephesians, he has been taking, he's been explaining how Christ is going to change the way we relate to one another as we become uh, more like Christ. As, as Nick was saying last week, we're like these broken down houses, aren't we, that Christ is renovating and he's changing us to live like Jesus, like the living God does. Now it might strain, sound strange to us, but even Jesus When you think about Jesus, when you look at his life, he says very often in his life, he'll say something like this, I always love to do my father's will. Does that ring a bell? Or I only ever do what my father tells me what to do. Or I love to only say the words that he gives me to say. Okay, so even if we just took that snapshot for a moment, even Jesus loves to submit and obey to his Father in heaven. And you never get that sense that he's doing it out of fear, like, oh, if I don't, my Father gets terribly angry with me. He always does it at a sense of it's his delight and his joy to do his Father's will. So we're going to look at some of these concepts and say, okay, how can we in our relationships, as Paul says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't know how you react when you're in, you, in circumstances in your life where someone tells you what to do. Can you think of an example when someone might come up to you and, and tell you what to do? Maybe it's in the context of work. Maybe it's at home. Yeah, I tell Nick what to do at church. I'm always very careful to say, please. In contexts where it could be home life, it could be uh, you're telling your child, well, no, when you're being told what to do, it could be a spouse, it could be a a sibling, it could be um, in any context. Can you think of an example? How does it make you feel when you are told what to do? 
Sometimes we're fine with it, aren't we? Sometimes we're fine. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for telling me what to do. Didn't know what to do before. I'm new to this. Don't know how this works. Thank you for telling me what to do. But other times, it might sort of wrinkle or rankle with us a little bit. Sometimes it might make it smart with our pride. Sometimes it might be someone's asked, to, asked us to do something that we don't want to do, that we think is a bit beneath us, or why can't someone else do it? Why do I have to do it? Especially when it's coming from someone who you don't necessarily respect, or someone who you think actually they're just being lazy themselves. How do you respond then? Do you, sometimes if you're anything like me, you might um, do it begrudgingly or muttering under your own breath. You put a smile on it first, say, yeah, of course, I'd love to do that. And then behind the scenes, you're huffing and puffing and doing the, taking as long as possible to do the job or whatever. We have a mixture of responses when we're being told what to do. I remember when I was um, first training in ministry um, at, a, at a church, I was uh, and, and at this church, when you're being put forward for ministry, you'd think that the things that they give you to do would be things like, why don't you practice having a go up the front doing a sermon? Or how about you, um, uh, I don't know, lead, lead a Bible study group and all of those things. So there was some of that when you're training in ministry, but at the church I was at, if you were going to go forward for ministry, you started to get the jobs that no one else wanted to do. That was the way they did it. They said, okay, if you're going to train for ministry, could you make sure that all the chairs are put out? Could you make sure that all the tea and coffee's made or all the different little jobs or that even, could you check that the bathrooms are clean? And at first, when I was going into ministry, I was a little bit like, oh, you know, well, hold on, I'm going forward for ministry. And sometimes I did them a bit of like huffing and puffing. But as time goes on and as it went on, I realized no, this is the joy of the Lord to serve in this way. That Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who serve the most. And I started to realize actually those tasks that we've been given, instead of going approaching them and saying, oh, okay, I'll obey begrudgingly, actually became it's a great thing to trust the Lord, to trust those who are giving you jobs to do. I know that Hannah, who's our Operation Mobilization missionary at the moment, she's, um, if you don't know who Hannah is, she's a lovely young lady in our church who felt the call to be a missionary um, around the world on this ship that goes around different places um, bringing the gospel. And I imagine that she had all sorts of hopes and dreams when she was going to go onto the ship of, I'm going to be sharing the gospel to, to thousands of people, it's going to be amazing. And I think she is doing that, trust me. But when you get onto the ship, you're suddenly given all kinds of jobs to do on the ship that maybe she had no idea she was expecting. And you don't get a choice in it. You just get put exactly where you're going. Speak to Bridget afterwards if you want to know what uh, Hannah's latest job is. But how do you feel when you're told or asked to do things? How good are you at going, okay, yeah, happy to help. Why do we struggle, though, with this idea of obedience and submission? Well, firstly, because, um, because of our pride. 
there's the sort of simple side to it, isn't it? Because sometimes we're just simply just proud. We probably prefer to be those who give the instructions or the commands than those who have to obey them. Sometimes we can be like that. Sometimes we think we know what's best rather than other people. Sometimes we think there's more freedom in giving the commands than obeying them. But also because we live in a world where actually power is abused, isn't it? Maybe that's one of the biggest ones. Some of these things that we heard here, wives submit to your husbands, slaves submit to masters, children obey parents. Well, we all agree with that one though, right? <laughs> that one doesn't rankle so much. But perhaps the other ones, because we live in a world that abuses those things. We live in a world where perhaps men have taken advantage of power and authority, or in the households they have not been loving and serving husbands, but have rather used their marriages to be served rather than to serve, or perhaps we've been in situations where, yes, bosses abuse their power and like to control and have influence and money and like to have lots of people around serving and doing their will. And so we're naturally and rightly suspicious when it comes to obeying and submitting. But first of all, we just have to, let's just pause a moment and see that everything Paul says in this passage, he sets up in the context of this is about Jesus. This is about the relationships that he talks about, husbands, wives, parents, children, masters and servants, is actually all about how we relate to Jesus. So Jesus, as Paul says, is the divine husband of the bride who is the church. Jesus is the great sort of, oh, the Father in heaven is the father of all us as his children. And Jesus is the Lord, isn't he, of whom we follow and obey. We sang earlier, you know, um, a song all about trust, trusting the Lord, obeying him. I wonder if you were, imagine for a moment you were one of the disciples um, back in the New Testament and Jesus is walking along, I don't know, the Sea of Galilee and he spots you and you're a fisher, fisherman or fisherwoman and he says to you, put down your nets and follow me. Okay, so a, a kind of command or an invitation to obey him. What would you do? What would you do? How would that make you feel if he said that? Put down your nets and follow me. Would we, maybe part of us would have that natural suspicion. Hold on a second, who are you to give the orders around here? Some of you might go, oh, that sounds really exciting. Just the thing I want to do. Some of us might weigh the cost of that and say, well, if I obey you, what's that going to mean for my life? Can I really trust you with my life? And we might have one foot in and one foot out. In fact, some of the disciples did say that. They said things like, uh, uh, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I've just got a few things I've got to do, sort out before I come. But you don't get the sense the proper way to obey Jesus in that 
is not because you fear him. It's not because um, you think, if I don't obey him, something terrible is going to happen to me. When Jesus calls us, we simply follow him because we know he loves us. There's something so good about Jesus that we want to follow him, trust him, submit to him. Because we somehow know, no matter what I give up for him, he has my good in mind. And it's better to be near him and close to him than resisting him and being far away from him. Do you see that? Now Jesus says, as followers, as his church, we're to relate to one another in that way. Wives are supposed to submit and trust their husbands as to the Lord. Children to obey their parents as to the Lord. Employees are supposed to be obedient to their bosses as to the Lord. Because we're to assume if the church is working as it ought to, that each of those people who have authority in some way will only ever act out of goodness towards you. Out of goodness towards you and love. And that they have your best in mind. I love that one where Paul says, children, verse, chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. We instinctively get that one, don't we? If you're a parent, you might know, or we've all been children before. Children, we always think we know best, don't we, when we're children? But clearly, most of the time, parents do. And I love it when it says, verse 3, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. In other words, if you don't, you might die. <laughs> but that's true. That's literally true, isn't it? If, if I didn't say to my child sometimes when they were younger, hold my hand as we cross the road, you may not enjoy long life on the earth if you don't obey. But as a parent, I'm only doing it for their good. I'm not doing it because I want them to submit to me and make my life brilliant and that gives me a sense of power and well-being and I'm going to abuse that. I'm doing it so we can get my child over the road safely to school and to nurture them and to, if you're a good parent. Now let's just do that for a moment with wives and husbands because I know in the world it just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds, because we, we now do this thing where we just say, if you uphold your end of the bargain, I'll uphold my end of the bargain. If we mutually love each other just exactly the same amount, this marriage will work. Unfortunately, though, that's just not the gospel. The gospel works like this. Jesus, as the husband, says to us, the wife, I will love you till kingdom come, no matter what. Through hell or high water, I will lead you through this life. Whether you stumble or fall, whether you sin or rebel, whether you're good or bad, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I, Jesus Christ, will never, ever abandon you. And I will only ever seek, with every breath I have, every moment I exist, I live to serve you and only have your good in mind at 
all times. I am not your husband that you might serve me. I am your husband that I will serve you. Now trust me. Listen to me. Follow me. And I will lead you to good and pleasant pastures. That's the way marriage in the Bible works. And then we, as the bride of Christ, we say to Jesus, wait a second, Jesus, what about all my rubbish and my baggage and my... If you knew who I really was, you would never want me. And he says, I see exactly who you are. I don't care. You're beautiful in my eyes. I love you, I will die for you, I will wash away all your sin, and I will make sure I present you to your, to your Father in heaven without any shame. I'll deal with all of that, I'll pay all your debts, all that. And we simply go, how can that be? I'm going to give up trying to earn your love. I'm going to give up trying to climb and crawl and beg my way to heaven. I'm simply going to trust you, Jesus. Why wouldn't I? You obviously have my good in mind. Everything you say in scripture, I'm down with it. You tell me to forgive my enemies, I'll do it. You tell me to, that money doesn't matter, fine, I can be generous and give it away. You tell me all these, to turn the other cheek, you tell me these things, they, they don't sit right with the world, but I'm gonna do it anyway, because you've got my good in mind. And now Paul the Apostle says, Husbands and wives treat each other like that. This is not about wives submitting to an abusive husband. This is simply about, because Paul says, husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Wives ought to feel utterly secure in their husband's love without fear, but with utter freedom. And therefore, then they're not to resist their husbands, but to trust that they have what's good in mind for them. Same way parents with children. Children are to trust that their parents are doing what's right. And then verse four, because look at chapter six, verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So you're supposed to be a heavenly father or parent to them, not one that is just, you know, annoying, abusive, lazy the parent is supposed to love as the father loves the child and again the same with bosses and employees or masters and slaves it says verse 9 and masters treat your slaves in the same way do not threaten them since you know that is he who is both their master and yours in heaven is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him in other words you both have the same heavenly father master lord so treat them with dignity and love. I hope you can see that submission and obedience aren't always a wicked thing. But done in divine love is utterly beautiful and really pleases God the way we... Uh, I'm just going to look at this verse again where it says, with the employees and bosses... It says, serve, verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Um, oh no, verse 6, obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, 
but as slaves as Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So, you know, that thing about uh, you, 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 obey, you obey on the surface when they're looking and they're, when they're watching, but when they're not watching, you go away and you're a terrible employee. No, we don't do that. What God is looking for in us is that willing, joyful submission and obedience. That tells God we're not doing this because we're scared of him or because we're trying to get something from him, but because we've understood that he's good. I'm just going to finish this sermon, and I know I haven't covered everything, and you can come up after me with questions about all of this. What do we do, though, when we have a bad spouse? I say bad spouse, I mean uh, a spouse that is perhaps even abusive. Or what do we do when there's a parent that is failing in their godly duties? Or what do we do when we do have a terrible boss? And maybe we can all think of times Nick's like, yeah, this is the bit of teaching I need right now. What do we do? Is God just saying, yeah, blindly obey? I I would hesitate to say that. I know too many people who've stuck in very abusive situations without looking for help or protection by the church or from others. You need to speak up. If you're in a terribly abusive situation, you shouldn't have to suffer it like that. But clearly Paul is saying here, we don't just obey our earthly masters um, when they're watching. We serve them as as if they were Christ. Now I'm gonna end with this teaching from Jesus where he says in the Sermon on the Mount, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Remember that teaching? It's the teaching where he also says, if someone asks you for your coat, give them their cloak as well. Should we just look at that for a moment? Matthew chapter five, so I can get the context for you. Matthew five. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I just love that bit, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Why would you do that? You've got a bad boss that asks you to, I don't know, uh, tidy the church <laughs> or do something that you're oh, forcing me to do this thing I don't want to do, this menial task. Why does the boss ask me to do it? Sometimes we'd go, right, I'll do it because I want to be a good employee. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Do more than was asked of you. Even when they're evil, I have to really think about that. And then I thought about it this way. I would do that because I'm free to do that. I'm doing that because that's what Jesus would do for me. The world works based on force or compulsion by money or threat of punishment, 
or because you want to climb the ladder, or because you want power or influence, or you're seeking approval. The world world works like that. That's how the world gets us to do tasks. Very rarely does it get us to do things out of love. But think about Jesus just for a moment. If Jesus only went to the cross for us because he was simply obeying his Father, I don't think that's enough. I think, yes, he is doing it to obey his Father. His Father said, I want you, Jesus, to go and die for the sins of the world. But I think Jesus would say something more. Of course I would do that. And more. I would go the extra mile. I'd do it for you, Father, and I would do it for the world. Not because I have to, but because I delight to. I often think about the, um, the lambs, the animal sacrifices that in the Old Testament you had to bring to atone for your sins. And I always think that lamb is forced to do it. Yeah? That lamb is forced. It hasn't got a choice. It's going to die. Jesus says he was forced to go to the cross in one way, wasn't he? He was forced. But he's like, no, I'm not doing it because I'm forced. I'll go the extra mile. I love that. I love that because I know Jesus loves me. I was ungrateful. I was unmerciful. I was a violent, cruel man. And he went the extra mile for me. Maybe we need to start relating to one another that way. And then when we do, we will set free those evil masters or those bad parents or those uncaring spouses. I'm not saying we suffer abuse. I'm saying how can we find ways to love in such a way that's actually going to set everyone free? Let's just pray.